Welcome to Multicultural TV Talk from MediaVillage.com. I'm your host, Juan Ayala. In each episode, we'll be bringing you exclusive interviews with rising stars of television and media, highlighting topics such as diversity, inclusivity, and representation. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Now let's get to talking. Today, I'm joined by stage and screen actor Troy Iwata, who you may know as Langston in the Netflix series Dash and Lily, NBC's New Amsterdam, and the Broadway production of Be More Chill. Troy, welcome to the show. Hi. Troy, I want to go back a bit and talk about Dash and Lily and what that experience was like in a pre-COVID world, mm-hmm. if we can even remember what that was like. But you get the call that you're going to be playing Langston. Mm-hmm. on Dash and Lillian. What, what what was going through your head? What was that what was that experience like? It was um kind of just like I the first thought that co- the first feeling that comes to my mind is like I felt safe. It's like a sigh of relief because <laughs> I feel like as like as like a performer an actor whatever you want to call yourself like the, a a big job like that you're like oh my god that's going to take care of things for like a while. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> And then after that, you're like, oh, and it's like a cool show and it'll be right. like fun. And um, I get to I get to represent myself and my communities and it's a collaborative process and it's new people and a new idea and um, it's going to be really fun. But the very first thing was like, thank God. Right. <laughs> oh, my God. A sigh of relief. <laughs> yeah. Um, so since you touched on, on you know, representing your communities and um, pride is just around the corner as well. Um, when you were on my other podcast, Actors with Issues, we had chatted about the very different storyline that existed with Langston in that it wasn't a story of tragedy, which a lot of Mm -hmm. queer uh, media can be rather tragic because it's usually based on real experiences and and people want to share those stories to give others a sense of comfort um, or just really relatability. Um, but with Langston, it was just, it was just such a beautifully lighthearted story and, and storyline. There was a little bit of drama with Benny. Um, but but yeah, like so what was that experience like for you getting to not only um, have this story about an, uh, a mixed Asian American family, but also this like um, wonderfully written and performed uh, queer character? Yeah, I think the important part about it was that when it, especially when it comes to queer characters, like when it comes to representation in general, I think the first step is exposure, you know, and for a while it was like queer people were just not represented. So yes, of course, that's why all of these uh, stories about the queer struggle and the, you know, thing, the obstacles that we face were were told and not invalidating any of those, they're very important and still need to be told, but I think like step two is then, I guess, normalizing or just sort of um, just accepting their existence. And I think that that's what Langston's storyline fell into, where it was like, okay, we have, we have a, we have a, not enough, but we have a fair amount of queer representation that talks about, talks about queer issues and, and everything like that. And now uh, what I loved about Dash and Lily was it allowed it allowed its queer characters to just exist and just play in that reality mm-hmm. as opposed to use them as trauma porn, you know, <laughs> like that, you know? And it's like, yeah. that, that, that also is, a, is another step forward where it's like, okay, we're here, we're queer, we're proud. And now let's have fun, you know? Right. 
Um, so I thought that that was something that was really special. And then, yeah, uh, just being able to represent the mixed biracial community and the in the Asian American community uh, was something that was really important, especially as a mixed person who, you know, I think a lot of mixed actors can relate to this, not feel, feeling like you're too much of something, not enough of something else. The fact that a character was written where it was like, no, this is right where you are. Um, and we want to 100% not try to push you or pull you in either direction. And that, and, and again, uh, not, um, not making Langston or Lily's storyline about how difficult it is to be mixed race and how difficult it is to be Asian American. And it was just like, no, here's some people who happen to be from these communities and, and this is, this is their life. And, um, yeah, the drama that happened with Langston and Benny is just, you know, relationship drama. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a, you know, just like all, I mean, all of the points you brought up are just like so much to, try and bounce back <laughs> with follow-up questions. Um, but, you know, like, especially with the the family's culture and, and being a biracial family, so many times that we see that in media, a lot of times, like, that's kind of the focus and that's all they talk about. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, people who are not biracial, their characters, they just kind of just drop that, like, oh, yeah, they're Irish-American, and then they never talk about it again or whatever. And yeah. it just exists and, and getting to see something like that. It's like, yeah, that's, this is, this is them. This is their life. It's not about, it's about Christmas and it's about um, this, you know, the, the, the journal and, and, you know, them passing it along and, and the relationship drama and all this stuff. So mm-hmm. it's like, it's just, it's, it's a, you know, like whenever you get like a casting breakdown, it's just part of the description, just like the ages or, or the, the gender and, that's mm-hmm. that's it. It doesn't have to be this massive plot point or, or plot device. Um, yeah. And I love that nothing in Dash and Lily, especially regarding Langston and Langston and Benny's relationship, nothing was hyperbolized. Nothing was sort of exaggerated or just felt very real and grounded. I love that about the show and about their relationship and even between Lily and Langston. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that I loved about it was I think growing up as a non-white, non-straight person, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one of the questions that you asked me earlier was was what TV show or TV character do you identify with growing up? And it was like, well, none, right. like one hundred percent. But I think any kid who is not white or not straight, we had to figure out a way to relate to straight white characters. And um, I think that one thing that Dash and Lily did beautifully was create characters that everyone could relate to. And you don't have to, you know, create well-rounded characters who aren't tied down by their identities or anything like that. So they were very relatable to everybody. Um, So it's like, yeah, white kids can relate to these characters. Right. Not just Dash, but everyone else too. (laughs) Right, 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 right. And um, I mean, using New York as such a, as like, was its own character, which I, I love and, and how the show used the Strand and Two Boots and all. I mean, there was a Two Boots next to my college in Connecticut. There just happened to be one there. Yeah. The few out of New York uh, locations they opened up. So like, you know, getting to see all of that and Chris, I mean, just watching the show during 
our first COVID Christmas. And we're like, oh, yeah. that's what Christmas was like. <laughs> I remember that. God, why is no yeah. one wearing a mask? I thought it was great that we, that the show used sort of um, like local gems of New York City. You know, it mm-hmm. wasn't like go, you know, it like Dash wasn't like, I put the diary in the Statue of Liberty. Like, you know, <laughs> if that would have happened, it would have been like, well, fuck this. I'm not going all the way over there. <laughs> like in the winter, you know? Yeah. It was accessible places that locals know and love. Right. I also wanted to talk a bit about breaking stereotypes and um, seeing the needle move in the right direction in regards to that. Uh, And and obviously including, um, you know, increased representation, especially with the Oscars this year was a huge year with um, movies like Minari and, and the director of like of Nomadland and all these other projects. Um, And, you know, Sound of Metal and all the titles are coming back to me now. Um, but it was definitely a great year for representation um, after a couple years of a dry spell. It was like Crazy Rich Asians and then a dry spell and then this year. In regards to increased representation, what are some things that you're hoping to see over the next couple of years? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, as far as just like a more colorful industry, both mm-hmm. like in front and behind the camera and front behind the casting table, it, it's a it's a complicated conversation to have it just reminds me of a project that I like I literally just did and I'm not going to name any names I shot this movie we we shot upstate for three weeks Mm -hmm. and the director was a straight white guy the writer was a straight white guy all the producers were straight white men and the cast was a cast of 10 and with uh, only one of them was a straight white man and the rest were all either brown or gay and it was just an interesting thing because it was a very very indie movie mm-hmm. um and the first week was all rehearsal and they from the get-go everyone was like this is going to be a very collaborative process very collaborative all of your ideas we love blah, 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 blah. and the leads were myself and then my friend who is a black woman and upon our first read-through this is very clearly written from the perspective of a straight white man you have now so these two main characters seem like straight white people. And you have now cast a gay biracial Asian person and a black woman in these characters. And we need to acknowledge that that's gonna change some dynamics of what's happening here. And I think that this was just a really perfect, it it ended up being a very stressful process Mm. because I think this this happens a lot where Everyone with power, everyone with control is still mostly white. And then they just feel like diversifying everyone below is going to fix the problem without acknowledging the fact that it, it, it doesn't. It's still, it's still very difficult. And um, I think one of the most difficult things about this process was that the, the people in charge it was white savior complex is what it was. Mm. And they wanted to take the credit for a diverse and all representing an inclusive project, but weren't willing to give up any of the authority, but Mm. also wouldn't take any responsibility for things that went wrong. (laughs) Interesting. So it was just Uh like this weird, basically, I don't know. When I say I want to see more color, like both in front and behind the camera, I'm saying that the like the the biggest problem that I see is that still the people in charge are mostly white and straight, and they think that 
as as much as you think that you are an ally and you are working not invalidating any of that it's there's only so far that the industry can go as far as progression if mm. everyone at the top is still straight and white yeah and i say this because I had to have a conversation with the director of this because I was getting a lot of, we were getting a lot of empty words from him. He was saying things like, we see you, we hear you, this is a safe space. And after like the fourth day of him saying that, I actually had to stop him. I said, okay, listen, every time you say that it has less meaning because you keep saying all those things, but nothing has changed as far as the work environment or Mm -hmm. artistic decisions or anything like that. So I think we're at a time now where people have learned the buzzwords to say so that they don't get in trouble. They've learned to say, we see you, that's valid. This is a safe space, but there's no action behind it. And there's no sacrifice behind it. It's, it, doesn't, it doesn't make a difference if every all the straight white people who are in charge just keep on saying, this is a safe space and we wanna hear you and we wanna see you. And it's like, no, you're gonna have to like sacrifice a little bit. Someone is gonna have to step down and lift someone up. But as long as people who, the straight white people who have the power and control hang on to it, nothing's going to change. And like this director kept on saying, like, I want to create an inclusive, you know, and all encompassing project. And I was like, here's the thing, dude, because everyone who is in charge of this project, the director, the producers, the writer are all straight white men. That means that every single artistic decision or idea that we, the the diverse cast, come up with, we then have to translate it so that you, a straight white man, will understand it. Mm. And that limits the integrity of of the piece because essentially we have to whitewash all of our ideas so that you, so, so that it goes through the straight white male lens so that they understand it. Cause otherwise I guarantee if we just came up with ideas and say, we want to do this, they would be like, I don't get it. And it's like, well, of course you don't get it. You're, you haven't experienced that. So because like the final say of this project has to be approved by a straight white man, it's not going to be an all-inclusive piece. It's just not, it. and like, here's the thing, that's fine. You have to acknowledge that like everyone in charge is straight and white. So therefore, there's only so far that this project can go. And if you just accept that, fine. We'll show up and do our job and we'll do our best and we'll make something whatever. But don't sit there and like, I feel like a lot of a lot of people, a lot of organizations and everything are saying all these buzzwords, but there's no action behind it. They're saying like, we stand behind you. We're with you. We hear you. We see you. This is a safe space, la, 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 la. But no one's actually giving up a piece even a piece of their power to anyone else to like do something with it they're like i still want to be in charge though right it's like well you can't yeah either either just acknowledge that i still want to be in charge and i actually i would almost prefer that they would say you know what i like being in charge and i honestly don't care because i'm rich and powerful it'd be like great be upfront about that, and then people can make a decision whether or not they want to work with you. Right. I would res- not respect that, but I would appreciate that even more. Yeah. But I just feel like there's a lot of, um, yeah. Every time I've walked into a project, most of the creative team is straight, are straight white people. For certain I- stories, it's their place to tell certain stories, and for others, it's not. Honestly, a lot of times when there are 
folks at the top who are not who are not of the same demographic as the audience they're going to pass up on a lot of really important storytelling because mm-hmm. because of that because they're not because they're not necessarily understanding of the story how impactful it is because it has nothing to do with them exactly so why should they have anything to do with the project Right. And the thing is, too, it's like at the same time, if I went on the tour of Bright Star or something and the entire creative team was white, that wouldn't bother me as much. Right. So that's a white ass story. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like there is balance where it's like, there's too many white people. And it's like, well, Bright Star has a, like, I wouldn't, I, no one's surprised. And I don't think anyone would be super bothered that like a bunch of white people got together and told the story of Bright Star, you right. know? It's it. The problem comes when like, you know, once on this island is like all creative team white people, and you're yeah. like, okay, well that's that's an issue. Like you know, I I admire Ryan Murphy with Pose. He handed it over. He's like, I'll be the executive producer. I'll direct some of this. But showrunner Stephen Canals, Janet Mock, you're gonna be in charge. Uh, Our Lady J, you're gonna be in charge. All executive producers, just wonderfully, not just like the. The, not just the record-breaking trans and queer cast, but showrunner, executive producers. You've got people who've been in this field before. You've got mm-hmm. consultants and choreographers and all of this. And that's why the show works so mm-hmm. beautifully and why it's been so successful. And it sucks that it's ending after only yeah. two seasons. Um, I feel like that show could have honestly gone on for a lot longer. But it could have gone on for a lot longer, yeah. Um, but yeah, you know. I think like even even a show like Pose, like all the things that you listed, that's a step, that's a huge step in the right direction. Right. And I do think that we like it's it is important to focus on those like progressive steps and celebrate them, sure. But I do think also that we're in a time where people are so desperate for positive press that any step in the right direction is worshipped so much that it's like, this is the way to do it. And it's like, it's a step they are go they are doing the correct they're in the correct direction right good let's, let's keep not, going <laughs> let's keep going yeah, yeah let's not let you know and i think that's what happens like earlier when you were said there was crazy rich asians and there was a dry spell that pattern happens all the time yeah. where we have a movie like crazy rich asians which is just like you know groundbreaking and revolutionary and then it seems as though the entertainment industry is like great we don't have to worry about Asians we hit our while. quota like yeah and you're like no keep yeah. going <laughs> yeah so the last couple of questions that i like to end with are uh if you think that a 13 year old you would have made it as far as you have um absolutely not <laughs> no because thinking back to like my 13 year old self like what was i even doing what grade eighth grade i was wearing the same i was wearing the same sweatshirt every day because it was the only Hurley sweatshirt I have. So I thought that that meant Hurley. straight boy. Uh-huh. And then I had like zip off pants. Um, and it was just like 100% in the closet, like hood over my head in the summer. Like, uh, yeah, those are my priorities in eighth grade. Just like, don't be gay, don't be gay, don't be gay. Like I didn't even, cause I didn't even, I didn't even start performing until I was 16. Mm. Um, cause I was just so anxious and depressed. It's a great ending. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I can picture myself in eighth grade and, um, it was just like, every day was like, 
wake up and it was like, be as invisible as you possibly can be. <laughs> and what advice would you give to your little 13 year old self if you can meet them? I would just tell him that, that you're going to be okay. Like it, that's really all that I would say, because I wouldn't even, I don't know. I, I grew up in like a really small conservative town and I saw mm. how, uh, effeminate boys were treated and stuff like that. So I honestly, I wouldn't even tell him like, be yourself because that, right. no, that would have, it wasn't safe to, yeah. to be myself in that environment. So I would have just said like, you're do you're surviving and you should be very proud of yourself for doing that. You're doing what you can. You're still being a nice person in within the confines of that. Mm-hmm. So just know that you're going to be okay. So just like keep doing what you're doing, but don't like you're know that you're doing what you need to do. Um, and don't hate yourself. Try not to hate yourself for it. That's what I would, that's what I would tell my 13 year old self. Cause I feel like so many people, like when they're asked a question like that, they're like, I would tell my child self to fly, you know, <laughs> like, no, sometimes you live in Lake Arrowhead, California and it's conservative and small and not safe for gay people. So like, no, do what you need to do to survive and try and, you know, try and find a friend and, um, and be nice to people and like, it will pass. And you can always move to New York and it will be better. And that concludes this episode of Multicultural TV Talk from MediaVillage.com. If you enjoyed the show and would like to hear more, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to never miss an episode and head on over to MediaVillage.com to check out all of our articles, columns, reviews, and interviews. Thank you all so much. I'm Juan Ayala and this is Multicultural TV Talk.